0: Welcome to WP Tonic episode 158. Today we've got Rachel Andrew of the Perch CMS and also a uh, expert on the CSS grid. Before we get into today's episode, I want to give a big shout out to our sponsor. Uh, WP Tonic is being sponsored by Liquid Web for this episode. Liquid Web is a fully managed hosting company offering managed WordPress Hosting. Liquid Web's managed WordPress is designed for mission critical sites that want to maximize uptime, increase capacity, and improve performance. Liquid Web is the partner that businesses want. With Liquid Web, your content and site are always safe, they're optimized for speed, and you can make all of your, manage all your sites easily through a single portal. Every Liquid Web managed WordPress customer will get a license of iThemes Sync Pro, included with your monthly subscription. And for you listeners of this podcast, Liquid Web is offering a 30, 33% discount for six months. Just head on over to liquidweb.com slash WordPress and use the code WPtonic33 at checkout. With that, I want to introduce... Um, let our guests introduce themselves. Rachel, for those that don't know you, who are you, and and uh, what do you do?
2: Um, yeah, well, I'm Rachel Andrew. I'm uh, one half of a company called EdgeOfMySeat.com, and what we do these days, pretty much everything that we do, is we develop and support our content management system called Perch and Perch Runway. Um, so that's kind of what the day job is. Um, and I guess my kind of weird hobby is that I am a part of the CSS working group, and I do CSS stuff and open web platform stuff. I've been involved in web standards for a very long time, um, so that's kind of what I also do uh, when I'm not working. It's more work.
0: <laughs> Excellent. I also want to introduce my co-host, Jonathan.
1: Oh, hi there, folks. I'm the founder of WP Tonic. We're a maintenance support company in WordPress for business owners, bloggers, and we have industry partners. We are a trusted partner.
0: Excellent. And I'm John Locke. My business is Web. De- uh, my business is Lockdown Design, and uh, I help blue-collar uh, businesses with their WordPress sites and local SEO. A um, question I like to ask everybody when they come on the show is, Is what's your origin story? How did you first get into web development?
2: Uh, kind of by accident. I'm actually a trained dancer. That was what I intended to do. So I left school at 16 to go to uh, college to do dance. Um, I kind of predate. Web and computers and things. We had a computer in my school, uh, the senior school I was at. Uh, it was in the art room. Uh, that was it. So I I learned to type on on electric typewriters. Um, uh, yeah. So I never had any interest in anything to do with computers. My father's a programmer, uh, but it wasn't something I was pretty interested in. Um, and it wasn't until I I left the theatre because I was pregnant with my daughter. And ended up with a computer, uh, mainly because I, I wanted to take in typing work. I thought it was something I could do because I could type. And I thought I could take in and type up people's essays and that sort of stuff. Uh, and it was, yeah, that, so that was 96, late 96. And the web was kind of a thing by then. And I really got involved with the web because I was, you know, a young Pregnant woman and then I had a baby and I didn't know anyone else for the baby and so I was using the web to chat to other people who had babies all over the world um, and so I kind of got into building websites just to put stuff online you know like baby photos just to share stuff with my new friends you know who were all over the world uh, and so that was really it it was it was just that sharing of content um, and because it was such early days the minute I could build a website people were like, oh, you can build a website, can you build me a website? And so I started building people websites and that was really where it started, was just sort of figuring some stuff out and, and then helping other people um, with sites because I'd worked it all out uh, and that's really how it's carried on to today. I'm just figuring stuff out and sharing that with other people. <laughs>
0: No, that's an excellent story, and and I kind of remembered, you know, those times, you know, getting into the web as a user, and and then, you know, building stuff for for people. And for me, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it really wasn't. Um, you know, one of the things I want to ask you about is, you know, with CSS grid, with flexbox, with CSS shapes and regions, and all these things that are going to be. Um, Supported by browsers, you know fully in the very near future Mm -hmm. We're kind of getting the promise of of what CSS was supposed to solve in the first place And I think back to you, know the early days with the CSS Zen garden um, People were like blown away by like how much you could do with it and and I really feel like we're gonna be entering like the next golden age and I I would just love to hear like your thoughts uh, on on you know what you know, the web is going to look like over the next few years and, and the types of possibilities that are opening up.
2: Yeah, I think mentioned the CSS Scent Garden is interesting because that was really a time when people used to kind of experiment on their own sites. Um, and all of us had personal sites because that was how you published things. You know, before Facebook and Flickr and, you know, all these places where you can just put content without needing to build a website. Um, so back then we all had our own personal blogs and a lot of us used those blogs as a kind of like a playground. We're like, oh, here's this new, C- new, when you could do CSS for layout for the very first time, you'd think, oh, I'll do that on my site because it's fine. It, it's mainly web designers come to my site anyway, who probably got decent browsers and I don't really care if it all falls apart. But we've sort of lost a lot of those personal sites and I kind of worry, where are people going to do that, that kind of creativity that we saw in the past? um what you tend to get is people do little experiments on code pen and they'll share those they'll say oh look here's my cat walking across the the screen you know do some animated thing or whatever and that's great and it's great fun and and those things are lovely to look at but i kind of hope that we'll see more people using places where they can experiment and building real websites with this new stuff Uh, because that's where it first starts you know you don't go and immediately build you know a a client project using brand new things that only work in half the browsers but you can probably do that on your own site as i say where it's mainly web designers come anyway who've got the latest chrome or firefox or whatever um and and probably aren't going to mind if it falls back to something plain or if they're in something else they're going to understand that and they're going to poke around and see what you've done so I think you know I hope that people use their personal sites to to play again. I would love to see that starting to happen because uh, I think there's so many interesting new things, and you do need to build real things with them to kind of get to grips with them
0: uh, definitely um and and you have a site like that as as well, like for c s s grid
2: mhm yeah and i've I've got a gridbyexample.com, which is was really, I've been building all these little bits and pieces um, to sort of demonstrate grid and to show people how things worked and also just to test the specification as it was developing. Uh, so I started sort of putting those together and that's kind of morphed into a bit of a repository of all things to learn grid layout. I've got a lot of videos I've done there and things. Uh, so it, it's a good place for people to head if they want to figure out how to start using it. Um, I'll carry on doing that over, over the next few months.
0: Um, over the last few years, in web design and web development, this has almost become like a running joke, but it seems like uh, that creativity of the early web, I mean, we still see like some creativity, as you mentioned, like on CodePen, I see some mind blowing stuff with, uh, you know, SAS variables and CSS3 animations, and people are doing like just incredible stuff. But the majority of the websites that I see getting published, maybe aren't like that. They're They're kind of, uh, locked into one of the few, uh, uh, are you designing like this website or this (laughs) (laughs) website hero image, like uh, stuff on the left and right, just kind of like three buckets of stuff. And they're all kind of like the same looking. Um, do you think that, you know, using stuff like bootstrap or or foundation has just made people just kind of fall into conventions. And do you think in the next few years when more things become, um, available to use in the browser for layout like grid and flexbox uh do you think we'll see some of that creativity return
2: i really hope so and i hope that what people don't do is look at say grid layout and say oh well let's just replace our bootstrap grid for grid layout and carry on making the same website design and i'm not at all against um frameworks i'm not you know i'm not a sort of hardline anti-framework person i'm a business person you know i We we build sites using foundation at the moment because, you know, we have to get stuff like, you know, support forums and things out of the door. And actually the design of them, it it basically matters that they're clean and easy to use. Um, Spending an awful lot of business time making a beautiful looking support forum, it isn't a great use of business time. And that's why we have these things because actually layout is quite difficult at the moment. You know, you have to know an awful lot. If you want to make a robust floated layout by hand, you have to know quite a lot about how that, all that stuff works and the likely issues that you're going to run into. Um, and so you, that's why people use the frameworks. Um, and it's not that they're bad, it's, it's just that yeah, they, they do stop you from making those creative decisions. Um, and so I think it's, as, as the new stuff becomes you know, more, more usable in more browsers, hopefully people will take a little bit of a step back and say, well actually, do I need to use Bootstrap's grid here? Or can I just roll my own? You know, maybe use the framework for some other bits and pieces, you know, because it's got some basic styling that's helpful. Um, But then start to use your own grid and your own choices around some of the proportions of things and how things lay out. Um, It doesn't have to be all or nothing. Um, We don't have to throw everything away and say, oh, you've got to start and just use this now because this is the new thing. Um, I think you can start to just bring in bits and pieces of this stuff as you're learning it and as support grows for it. (laughs)
0: Definitely. Um, You know, and for those who don't know that much about CSS Grid, because, I mean, the spec has been around since 2012, but browser support is just now starting to, to happen. What are some of the things that they will be able to do?
2: Well, kind of the the big thing that that happens with with Grid is it's two-dimensional. So if people are probably familiar now with Flexbox, and so Flexbox allows you to do what we call one-dimensional layout. So you can lay things out in a row, or you can lay them out in a column, and you can kind of space them out nicely. Um, And although you can let it wrap, what happens when a a Flex item, when they wrap into the next line, each line essentially becomes its own Flex container. So they space out across that line. So if you've got three things on the first line and two on the second, they just sort of split the space, the second two. They don't line up underneath the top ones. And typically when you teach someone Flexbox, that's the first thing they say is, oh, how can I make the second the things on the second row line up with the ones above? They say, well, you can't really, not unless you really sort of stop Flexbox being flexible by giving things widths and so on. Um, and so That's the difference with Grid, is that Grid lets you do this in two dimensions. So you can create a grid and then you put your items into it. So if you want them to line up with the things above, then you can do that, that's fine. Um, and you can also do things like span rows, which is something that typically we can't do on the web at the moment. Um, you can't say, oh, I want this thing to be as tall as these other things that are next to it. And that's very difficult. Well, that's easy with the grid. Um, so yes, yeah, so it, it, it's two-dimensional layout. So if, you want to, if you've basically got a bunch of things and you want to be able to set them into, into a grid, um even if that doesn't end up really looking like a grid then that, that's what you want rather than something like flexbox which really deals with things on a on a line-by-line basis um so i think there's, there's lots of stuff it it enables white space because you can leave parts of the grid empty and again that's really difficult currently because everything if you use floats everything just floats to the top and you can't really leave gaps between stuff because it just all goes up uh, so i think it there are possibilities there in terms of design that, that people can start to look at
1: no, definitely. Go ahead and jump in. I was, just, I was just thinking, what a great explanation of something very common. <laughs> I've had quite a bit of practice. <laughs> that, was, that was quite uh, impressive, actually, <laughs> you that. i
2: you I've, I've been working with, with Gwyd now for, for really for five years, so that's, uh, uh, I've... I've yeah. <laughs> For it's just appearing in browsers, I, I, I feel like it's been around a very long time.
1: Well it has, isn't it? And people have just been oh uh, you know any any thoughts why why it, it's been a, like like what John said, it's been available since two oh twelve, but now it's just look just coming it looks like in the next year it will be actively used. Why why such a long period? Any any thoughts about that?
2: Well it's, it's taken that long to implement, it's really complicated to get to get um so the so in so 2011 um so with with I 10 um there was this first implement implementation of of this sort of first draft really of, of, of what became the current spec um so we had an implementation in IE then um at really around the same time um the implement or a little bit later, the implementation started in um, WebKit and in Blink. Um, so that implementation has been done by a company called Egalia, um, who are an open source consultancy who write browser code. So they've been doing the implementation in into Blink and into WebKit. And that implementation has been paid for by Bloomberg. Uh, they sort of sponsored the implementation. Um, and so really they've been working on it consistently throughout that time. You know, this is incredi- sort of in collaboration with the CSS working group who are working on the spec at the same time. So you've got browser vendors actually doing the implementation or people working for browser vendors. And then you've got the CSS working group figuring out how everything should actually work. And so this has been going on together at the same time. The spec's been developed and the implementations are growing up. And then sort of then uh, sort of later on, Firefox Got involved and they 're doing their implementation um, and so we 've got the spec developing and at the CSS working group last meet, the last meeting, we were still hammering out some of the finer points of grid layout, some of the defaults, basically you know if if someone doesn 't set something, what happens then? that kind of stuff. Um, so it's it's a big spec there's a lot of it it's not really like anything else it touches a lot oh, of other yeah. things you know what happens when someone absolutely positions something inside their grid what happens if you know someone doesn't fully specify the grid you know what are the fallbacks um, you know there's there's all sorts of stuff that has to be worked out and it has to work in in all the browsers it has to be interoperable so <sighs> It's actually, you know, it's not that people stopped work on this at any point. Um, I, you know, and you can look back over my blog. There's posts going back through the whole history of it. Where I'm saying, oh, look, this has been decided, or we've changed the name of this, or we've now got into grid gaps, and you know, so it, the whole time that's been developed, and that's just how long these things take.
0: Is it really hard to get agreement from all the people who are, you know? <laughs> Well, um, and 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 the, re- and the reason I ask the reason I ask is is because a lot of people probably don't realize like how the W three C actually works, and like coming mm-hmm. to agreement on how things work and 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 all the different entities that are involved, um, in inputting that stuff. So you know how difficult is it like moving it forward like when you're dealing with. Say the different browser representatives, and you know the other people that are involved. Like you know, um, there's people like Adobe, and and mm-hmm. there's even like other you know ISPs and, and and different people on the W3C now. Yeah. So and. In-
2: all of this happens in the open, so you can actually go and have a look, and now a lot of it is now happening on GitHub, so you can go along to the CSS Working Group uh, GitHub repository and have a look. All the specs are, are there. You can see the issues. So you can see some of the arguments just in the issues there. You'll have you know, a, a browser, someone who's doing the implementation um, at Firefox, and someone doing the implementation for Blink. Might be having a bit of an argument in the comments there about which way they think something should go. And it's just really like any software development, you know? I mean, developing specs is very like developing any software. Um, And if you've got a bunch of people, you've got a bunch of developers in a room who need to figure out the best way to do something, you'll probably have a few arguments before you get the final thing. And actually, that's a good thing because people are gonna raise different points of view, you know, and then at the working group, you've got people like me. I'm not a browser developer, I don't write browser code. Um, And I've got a point of view from the point of view of people who write CSS, uh, people who use CSS and so I'm throwing in my ideas into the mix and saying, well, hang on, you know, if I don't want this to disappear to nothing, that'll be confusing to people or, you know. So there's lots of people throwing their opinions in and most of the time a, a debate will happen. People will air their opinions. And then at the meetings, it'll often go to like a straw poll. We have telecon meetings where we use IRC and we all vote. Um, and then we have the face-to-face where we can actually stick our hands in the air. And, and So generally, things will be resolved like that. And then if unless someone comes back and says, right, I found a showstopper, we can't do this because, then that'll be what the decision is. Um, and those decisions can be all sorts of things. They can be as trivial as, well, what, what could we name this thing? What should we call it? Or well, they could be, you know, quite far-reaching um, in terms of of browser code and implementations. People are going to have to do. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much. You know, there are heated discussions sometimes. Um, but that's what happens when you get a bunch of people into a room who who all really care about making it good. Uh, And that's, that's the nice thing, you know, I've just come back from Seattle, um, and it was really great spending time, you know, with all these people who just really, really care about making this stuff good. And they're all from different points of view, they work on different browsers. Um, But, you know, there really is a feeling that we're trying to make something that's great here, and that's gonna be really useful, and people are gonna be happy with. And when it, you know, goes out into browsers, you know, we all want developers to be really excited when they get their hands on grid and they can use it. so that's you know generally how how it is people aren't just being um argumentative for the sake of it generally it's because they want to make the platform better
0: definitely um jonathan think, go I ahead think,
1: i think actually we better go for our first break john and that's then come actually, back and and uh, what I was thinking. yeah let's go for our first break john
0: all right when we come back from break we'll be talking more with rachel andrew if you want to spend more time making money online, then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no question asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay, sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com, just like the podcast. We're coming back from our break, and we're talking with Rachel Andrew, uh, who's a noted expert in CSS Grid, but also uh, the creator of the Pritch CMS. Um, and Rachel, I want to ask you to you know, like our audience is mostly people who work in WordPress, which is uh, you know a rather large CMS, but compared to WordPress, Perch is actually um, rather streamlined, um, you know, and, and yeah, and, and, and what are, like, some ways that, um, you know, Perch differs from a WordPress or a Drupal or a Joomla? Yeah, so the
2: kind of Core idea behind Perch was this idea of structured content. I mean, both Drew and myself uh, were Web Standards Project members, so we both had this very, very long history of being involved with open web standards, with and in, in sort of seeing things like semantic markup and, and you know, and being able to use your own markup um, as being very, very <coughs> important. Um, and we'd also built a, a quite a lot of content management, sort of custom content management things, prior to launching Perch um, on a f- sort of fairly large scale things. Where we'd taken this structured content approach because that was really the only way we could see people being able to use decent markup and mark up things as they should be, um, and also be able to sort of manage that content, you know, in some sort of way that you don't have to be technical to do. So we had this sort of idea of having these templates which described. Um, describe the content and the other thing that Perch does is once you've created a template for your content which is going to display on the front end of your website and it you know encloses all your all your fields with with the right markup which might be html5 markup you know you could be using all, all the sort of new html5 tags once you have that template and you go and you visit the page then that template becomes the schema in in the admin so you don't have to create any custom fields or anything like that. Perch just is custom fields. That's just how it works. So you've got a bunch of field types. You, you've created your template. You've loaded that page in the browser. You go to the admin, and there's your form, and you fill it in. So if you've got, um, say, an event on that page, and you go to the admin, you've got a nice form there to capture all the details about your event. So that might be dates or, or what have you and, and things. So it allows people to create quite complex uh, data structures. Without having to mess around, you know, with anything particularly technical to do that, um, a, a lot of the sort of people who use Perch, this sort of original pro- product, are designers. They're not developers, and so we try and make it as straightforward and, and as as much like writing HTML markup as possible. You know, they don't have to mess around with the PHP and and things. Um, we've kind of taken that a step further with Runway, which is a lot more of a sort of a developer version of of Perch. Um, I mean, one of the things that we're going to ship in three for runway is like a headless CMS so people can create content and then use it, um, perhaps in a phone app or something, you know, they can use it as JSON or, or whatever they want. Um, because we've got this nice structured content, we can then do all sorts of interesting things with it. Um, so that's something that we want to do more for runway.
1: Yeah, it's fair. Uh, you know, when we were discussing you coming on the show, you said, wow, Jonathan, you're about WordPress, <laughs> uh, 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 uh it, I do use perch when it um, when I don't feel WordPress is suitable and i I think it's a fantastic see you know product and you've been working on it for a number of years and it, it's great to see the success that you've, you've developed with it but what have been some of the challenges of running a running the company and that how how long has it been running now actually rachel
2: um we launched in 2009 so yeah we're sort of like eight years coming up um yeah it's it's um i think a lot of the challenge is actually probably very similar to someone to, to, to the same challenges that WordPress have just on a smaller scale. You know, I mean, it's it's a self-hosted system. So you have all the problems of people's terrible PHP hosting. <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> but you, don't, you do not get that with Liquid Web folks. You, you get superb hosting. Yeah, don't you do? But
2: as, as you can imagine, we see all of the terrible web hosting. Um, we know all of the terrible things that people can do to configure PHP um, and things that like, really out of date PHP. I mean, you know, people complain they don't want to be off PHP 5. Point three, you're like, when was that end of life? <laughs> um, you know, so it's all that sort of stuff, which I think is common to all of these products. You know, if you, whether it's it's WordPress or Drupal or us, you know, we or you know any of the other sort of hosted self hosted CMSs, we all have this issue where people think, oh, I just need some PHP hosting, and so go and use, you know, a two ninety nine a month host that's not been updated for five years and. Um, so that i mean that's a challenge because it burns up a lot of support time a lot of our support has yeah. nothing to do with our product nothing that we can do anything about other than just help people because it's their hosting and or it's it's actually their own front-end code that they're having problems with or you know so a lot of people coming into our support don't know where perch stops and they start or when perch stops and their hosting starts um and so there's not a lot we can actually do to sort of stop that we just have to help them and so that can use up an awful lot of time
1: yeah i would imagine it is um that's one of the biggest time resources hmm. that um you struggle with you know you also um the other thing i love about it is you've gone into e-commerce haven't you and yes. um um i think it's really sweet what you're doing in that area because i have nothing against woocommerce Um, but it's a bit of a monster and just for a couple products I don't Mm. exactly recommend it Um, but I've sent some people to Perch because I really think it's a really sweet um, product you know so how's that been going on the e-commerce has that been growing considerably
2: yeah. I mean, a lot of people are really into it. It's really, it seems to be driving runway sales to so the bigger system that, you know, people are using, because we really built the e-commerce to go with runway rather than just Perch because things yeah. like the routing and stuff we've got in runway makes that a lot easier. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's going quite well. I mean, obviously e-commerce is such a huge subject, but what we wanted to do was give people the same control over their products and their checkout experience and all of that, that they have in Perch because, You know, people who use perch are used to be able to design anything they want and be able to build it. And then they'd go to e-commerce, it'd be like, Oh, we're gonna have to go to Shopify or we're gonna have to go to some solution which is just gonna make us you know, the cart is like this, the checkout experience is like this. Even sometimes the products have to be displayed like this. And you're like, Well, that's not that's not perch like, that's not what we do. So that was kind of we were sort of backed into a corner of having to produce this because we wanted our customers to have something that was as flexible as the rest of Perch um and yeah it's, it's a huge amount of work and there's you know always endless numbers of things we could be doing um i mean, both for Perch and, and for the e-commerce stuff um we kind of just have this policy of you know what will make the most difference to the most people and just kind of filter the requests and say right you know if we do this thing there's probably a few hundred people maybe a few thousand people at this point you know who would benefit whereas there might be something that there a couple of people shouting for but we know it's not going to yeah. make a, a distance difference to a lot of people so we kind of just have to manage our time like that you know and, and obviously some people are going to be disappointed that they don't get their pet feature but you know there's never even if we were a team of a hundred there'd still be many things we could be doing you know um it, it's pretty much uh, there's, there's so much possibility really
1: so um so the company's bootstrapped is that not correct so uh, have you ever considered taking vc money
2: we're not really to be honest even if we were into that idea we're not particularly a fundable company we're not interested in selling it we're not interested in you know sort of any kind of exit this is just what we do um you know so we're not really that kind of of company really um so yeah, you know, I'm not against VC money. It's just, that's not sort of what we do. Um, and it would it would change the focus, I think a lot because yeah, so. at the moment we make decisions based on, you know, what what would be the best thing for our customers? You know, what, what, what would they like? Whereas a VC would be thinking, well, what's going to make the most money? Um, and sometimes those two things go in parallel, but sometimes they don't, you know? So it's quite nice to have that freedom to make those decisions ourselves
1: well that's one of the reasons why i recommend it to people because who you know because of you and the company and the ethics of the company i know it's rock solid you know and well,
2: that's it. we're not going to get we're not going to disappear we're not going to be acquired, we're not you know that's not they were not interested in that you know and i think people have been burned and i think that's happening quite you know people are seeing that now that you can you know, sort of hand over an awful lot to a company, which then suddenly you know posts their oh you know we 've got some marvelous news, our wonderful story we 're going off to do this, and then they just abandon the product um, and yeah, you know, I, think, I think people can have confidence that this is what we do, this is how we make our living, um, and we 're not planning to stop doing that so yeah. I think
1: in the jargon of the Bay Area, it's called a, a pivot, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: It. You don't know if the thing you're using is going to be the same tomorrow, you know?
1: Yeah.
0: I'm glad that you brought that up, you know, and and that's the thing that happens that we're seeing a lot, like a lot of companies get acquired or a lot of, you know, um, agencies got acquired, um, you know, a few years ago and got sucked up in, in into companies. Um. And your product is, you charge money for Perch. It's a lot of CMSs out there are open source like uh, Drupal, WordPress, Joomla, all those sorts of ones. They're open source and people expect them to, you know, a lot of the stuff that's associated with them to be free. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to point our listeners to an excellent article that, that you wrote about a year ago called The High Price of Free on a list of parts. And what you said in this article, a lot of it resonated not only with me, but a lot of things that I'm hearing from from colleagues. Because unless people own an agency uh, or they have a really successful product, they're feeling a lot of the same things that you were saying in this article. In that, um, to be sustainable, people have to... Uh, you know, get something back for, for what they 're putting in, and not everything can be free hmm. um, you know what are your thoughts on on open source and like the things that we expect people to do uh, without compensation
2: yeah yeah you know, I, mean, I think I mean so much of the web that we have is is built on on open source and on people giving their time free now you know I give a huge amount of my own time for free with the the stuff I do with the CSS working group for instance that's that's voluntary and and to the extent of it actually costs me money because I have to fly myself to meetings I spend time you know sort of doing that um so that's that's cool but there has to be kind of limits to that and we have to also encourage people to do things that they charge money for Um, particularly younger people who are sort of getting into the industry and are just excited and they're like oh you know I can do this I can help with that Um, but we also need to make sure that like they they know that you know it's okay to charge me for this you know maybe you could put all this work you're doing into into some into an ebook that you could get some money for or perhaps you could charge for helping people with these things or you know I think it's about setting those expectations that it's okay to earn money from things because I mean we get you know, we, we get not as much used to. When we first launched Perch, we got quite a lot of nastiness directed to us. You know, how dare you charge for this thing? That's terrible. Like,
1: well, terrible, we, Rachel. People <laughs> be nasty to you. You're one of my <laughs> favorite people <laughs> on
2: the no, but, I don't but, know. Kind of, but it's like, you know, it's because they expect things to be free. And it's like they, they couldn't understand how we could possibly be charging for this <laughs> thing. And, and, you know, the fact that we charge the thing is why it's still around, because we can afford to support it. We can afford to keep, keep developing it um and i think you know that's what i ask people to look at is well if, if things are free then either people are giving their time for nothing and eventually that's not going to be sustainable they're going to give up they're going to have to go and earn money and so then the thing gets abandoned um or it's free because there's all this money behind it from somewhere else and in, in that situation then it's either going to be a case of the project is going to be bought by someone and maybe killed or just turned into something different um or you're Essentially, paying by giving over rights to your personal information, and so you're it's you're being advertised to stuff about you is being sold. Um, you know, ev- everything does have a cost, and there are things that are absolutely free because someone has bothered to spend some time doing something and put it out there for free. You know, I mean, things like you know tutorials I write or or whatever. But if that person doesn't have a sustainable way of making a living as well, eventually it's just going to be abandoned because everyone's got to eat or people, you know, people get older, they get a family and it's suddenly like, well, hang on, I need to provide for my kids here. So I can't do all this free work. I better get a job and then their projects get abandoned. So, you know, it, it's really in the interest of all of us that we make sure that people who are, are doing cool stuff are compensated in some way because otherwise they have to stop doing it. Yeah. Uh, so, the, yeah.
0: The total reason why I bring that up is, is because when I look at like other parts of the web there, there are so many things that I see within the WordPress ecosystem that seem like, you know, people give a lot, a lot of stuff for free. And, mm-hmm. and that whole thing, the business side of it is something that people really do struggle with. And I, I think there is like a lot of expectation within our, our WordPress community that, mm-hmm. that we do a lot of things for free. And and I I can just see like a point where where things begin to mutate or you know they're not sustainable in the way that they are. Um, well, it's a, it's,
1: a, it's yeah. a really interesting point you're making, actually, John. Because I I know a few agencies in my area, and a lot of them they actively don't use WordPress, and and they don't. The reasons why they don't use it, John, is not that they don't think it's good or they don't like it. But they don't want to be linked to this attitude which they sense from clients and from some elements of the WordPress community that it all should be free. And they find it easier to bid for, pro- for projects when they're using other content management systems that don't quite have that feeling that um, it's easy and it should be free. Hmm. it's most, it, it's it's quite interesting really um but well, you don't technically exactly overcharge really for perch do you rachel no.
2: really no you know the thing is in our, our sort of business model relies on people building multiple sites so because we have a, a license fee per site um it's in our interest to have people who Build lots and lots of sites, and we have some agencies who, particularly with Perch, um, which is great for kind of your small marketing sites and things like that, where people create a whole load of templates and things that they use, and they're building maybe two sites a week. Sometimes you know they're building lots and lots of these small sites, um, often around a certain um, market vertical. You know they build sites for doctor surgeries, or they build sites for you know some some particular part of the market. and you know, for Perch, they're great customers. They can build things very rapidly with Perch um, and they buy you know, a license per site as they do these sites. Um, and so that's really the model is not so much um, charge an incredibly high price for the product mm. and hope no. people will buy a license. What we hope is that people will keep coming back because as well, our support costs go down because if someone, someone knows how to use Perch, they're not going to be in our forum asking us questions all day because they figured it out. So we find that you know, obviously, we tend to see people when they're building their first site because they might have some questions or know want to know how best to implement something. Um, but then we might not see them until they're onto their fifth site and they're doing something they've not done before, and they can, or we've got something new and they want to try it out, and then we might see them in support again. So you know, it's in our interest to encourage people to be using Perch for lots of projects, and that's really how how we kind of have repeating revenue, even though we're not a subscription product.
0: Yeah i'm really excited i mean and and like you mentioned before i'm really excited to see uh the new version of runway because you uh, um it actually will be like a headless cms and separate content from presentation Mm -hmm. um and and there's so many things that you can do with perch i mean there's really not um any limits to it anything Mm -hmm. that that you can do on another cms you can do with perch Mm -hmm. and and i really think in a lot of ways it's more lightweight than um most of the CMSs out there that that um, basically, try and do everything.
2: Yeah. yeah well, want, you, oh, sorry, oh, sorry, 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 um, sorry Rachel. So, the, the, one of the sort of really key things behind Perch and Runway is is making things fast. It's really, really important on the web today that that your sites are fast. You know, Google cares about your site being fast. Um, so, we do an awful lot of stuff optimizations to make sure that even on the terrible shared hosting. <laughs> you know, Perch and Runway will be, will be really fast. And that's the, you know, we make decisions based on that. You know, sometimes if, if there's, sometimes if, if we might need to make the developer do like an extra step, but that means that the site is a lot faster because we feel that actually what you want is for, at runtime, it's be as fast as possible. And so we're making those decisions all the time is how do we make this faster? Um, even if the environment it runs in isn't great. Um, so that's that's a key thing. And that's something that you often lose, particularly in projects. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not here to WordPress bash, but with something like WordPress, you've got a lot of people writing plugins and things for the software. And the quality of those is going to be different, but also they're not necessarily all going to work together quite quite as cleanly you know you can end up doing the same you know doing a lot of processing twice or three times because you're using plugins and stuff Uh, that's something that's something we can get away from because we have a lot more control over uh what what's happening um and if people are developing add-ons they're doing that via our api so we can sort of encourage them into good practices that way um so that that's kind of something which i think is probably a key difference is is our control over that environment and and the speed that it can all operate in yeah it's
1: fascinating really because you know the plugin structure of WordPress is one of them was one of the main things and still is the thing that really drives a lot of people to mm-hmm. WordPress and it's a great system but it also has some drawbacks because fundamentally there is no perfect content management system there is no perfect hosting company there is no perfection anywhere you just Um, I have to look at your deeds and then make some kind of logical, semi-logical choice, haven't you, Rachel?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't say and we we do turn people away. You know, people will ask us, oh, is Perch right for this sort of scenario? And we'll say, actually, no. I don't, I don't think that's going to be so great for you. Either because of the person who's doing the work, and maybe it's not just not really matching up with their skills, or they've got some sort of project that really shouts out for another solution. Um, we're not in the in, sort of in the business of trying to convince people to use our product when they should be doing something else. Because as developers, we don't always use the same. Products, you know there's sometimes you think i mean for instance our docs are running on a static site generator because it's documentation it's basically a set of markdown files you know um and so we made a choice of oh we'll use a static site generator we could have built it in perch and runway um but it works very nicely because it means we can keep everything just as Markdown, just in a text editor um so you know like anyone we would make the same decisions you know is this the right solution? Is that the right solution? And we'd encourage other people to do so. Um, I mean, we'd really like people to consider Perch and Runway as an option. Um, do
1: you? About it, but. Yeah. Do you really like um, Matt at the uh, WordCamp USA in December? He kind of, in his um, state of WordPress, um, he kind of really strongly hinted, or basically said that he saw most of the main competition to WordPress coming from hosted solutions like wix and um weebly and uh, there's a number of others um do you feel the same that um really a lot of your competition is coming from hosted solutions
2: i think the, the competition is it's it's a competition really at the bottom end of the market the, the it used to be that if you wanted a website, you were a business wanting a website, you'd go to a sort of small town web designer, you know, the sort of person who would build you an inexpensive website. And those people, I think, you know, have been the WordPress users, they've certainly been a lot of the perch users, you know, the people building the sites for people who they met at the Chamber of Commerce meeting and then needed a website. Now, it's that end of the market is the one that's getting commoditized and getting hoovered up by Squarespace and so on. Because actually, if your friend comes to you and says, oh, I've just started a new personal training business um, and I've got 200 quid to spend on a website, then actually what you'd say to them is, oh, well, you could sign up for Squarespace or Wix or whatever and pay a little bit every month and you'd have a perfectly acceptable website all they really need is to be able to say to people go to my website and you'll get my contact details and you can call me and we'll set up an appointment Um, and so it's those smaller sites uh, I think there is less opportunity for people to run businesses around providing small sites for people Um, and so therefore they're not then looking for content management systems for those small sites because those people are going off just going and building themselves a website on Squarespace. Um and so I think, yes, you know that then has an effect on all of us because where do people get in? Well, they get in further up, they get in with more complex projects um and then that's a different decision that they're making so so yeah, I think that there is yeah definitely a an issue there with with those sort of host solutions because some of them are pretty good
1: yeah square I would say of all um, it has um I'm not going to choose my words carefully here. Of, of of them all, I would say Squarespace is the best one, but it still has certain drawbacks that are not oh, tot- yeah. totally evident, like getting your domain name, if you buy the domain name from getting it back.
2: Absolutely, but I think you, know, it, you can see for those people who would have typically gone to a web designer, yeah they're not now they they're just able to to hop online and make themselves a website in an evening with a template and and actually a lot of people that's they think oh that looks quite nice and that's as far as it goes you know they they really wanted an online business card essentially they're probably using facebook for a lot of their business sort of outreach and and things they just want a website because they would they'd quite like to have their email address at their domain name and they thought they should have something there you know
0: (laughs) yeah no I I do agree. I am seeing that as well. You know, definitely like the, the, the people that I run into that, um, that end of the market really is commoditized. And Mm. I I think the people that do, you know, uh, need someone to help them like continually though, that's where there is still an opportunity.
2: Yeah. And I think also the people who operate in very, sort of niche markets and know a lot about that market. So let say, well, we've got these people who build lots of sites for very specific verticals. So for the doctor surgeries or yep. wherever, they just know that, that market so well, they can go in, they can say, right, we can build you a site. It's going to do all of these things. We know what you need. We know what your customers or, you know, your patients want to know. And they'll build these websites because they know a lot about that. And I think there's an opportunity there for people to turn their businesses into that kind of business that, that really focuses on one type of customer um, and has a, you know, a good track record with them because there's a lot of confidence to be had from someone saying, well, here, look, here are 50 other sites for other doctors that we've done and they're really great and been successful for them.
1: Well, I think it's really, I don't know if you agree with this, Rachel, you know what you were saying about, um, you know, um, people going to Wix and blah 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 um, but funny enough on the other side it's become much easier to build um, a online business card kind of website but I said I said to um, John uh, a few episodes ago to actually get traffic to that you know if it's necess- mm. if it's more if you need more than that you're actually looking to get traffic to that website and then convert it then it becomes a totally different game doesn't it and to actually make money online or to make that site um get a return on your investment if you if you actually expect that or it's needed it's become much more complicated and more difficult hasn't it
2: yeah and i think in, and in that case you know web designers who want to be able to help people with that side of things yeah, that's a whole other set of skills you know we're not just you can't just be a geek building websites anymore uh, if, if you need to understand business you need to understand you know how to get people to you know how to get leads to the site to convert to buy things to pick up the phone or whatever it is you want them to do you know there's a whole bunch of skills there that you know 15 years ago 20 years ago and I actually nobody thought about any of this stuff we were just building websites you know and hoping they kind of worked um, <laughs> so it, there's there's a whole lot of places i think where people can still make a living doing this stuff but they're not what it's not what it was it's not you can't just be someone who builds websites i think these days you've got to figure out exactly how you're going to help people um and and do more than a Squarespace can do for them
1: yeah i think that's fantastic i I don't think actually folks we're going to go for bonus content because um we had some technical challenges with this um and rachel's a very sport Sporty, uh, dealing with our slight technical troubles. So, we're using a different platform. We're actually using Zoom to record mm-hmm. this because our normal Google Hangout had a little bit of a fit with me. But I upgraded my operating system over the weekend and it, it went great, um, but I've been having some minor issues that have been appearing gradually. So, um, <clears throat> Hopefully we've recorded this. John pressed the button, and and hopefully my other recording mechanism has worked, folks. I'm just giving you some boring insights there, folks. But Rachel was very patient with us. It's been a joy talking to you, Rachel. You know, you've been such a great um, contributor to the uh, web design community, and I just wanted to say that um, it's really... I personally want to say that I've learned an enormous amount from your articles and your contribution. Oh,
2: thank you. <laughs> That's nice to know My,
0: myself right. as well. Um, yourself and and many others that um, are were in the early web standards crowd were some of the very first people that that I uh, learned from when when I was learning uh, to build websites myself. So I thank you as well.
1: And uh, before. Before we go, folks, I just want again to thank our um, new sponsor, Liquid Web, who's become our major sponsor um, over the coming episodes in the new year. Um, Great company, um, a great history of providing quality um hosting rather than some of the rubbish hosting rachel was talking about and it's really appreciated that they um decided to support the show isn't it john
0: definitely and for our listeners out there if you want to support the show by leaving us a review on itunes we'd greatly appreciate that if you're getting any value out of uh our twice weekly uh you know WordPress Business Podcast. Leave us a review on iTunes. It helps surface the show, helps other people find it. Leave a detailed review. Uh, With that, I'm going to let everybody uh, tell us where to find them. Rachel, where can we find you online?
2: Um, well, the, my site is rachelandrew.co.uk and that's where I sort of have my blog and various bits and pieces. You can find out where I'm speaking. I'm also at Rachel Andrew on Twitter, um, where I'm most days complaining about airplanes and airports mostly. Um, and and uh, the, the product is Perch and we're at grabaperch.com if you want to check out what we do.
0: Excellent. Jonathan, where do we find you?
1: Uh, We can get me on Twitter at Jonathan Denwood. I'm I'm normally on there most days. Um, Or you could email me. Um, I do answer my email, not the same day, but you will get answer. like Rachel. Uh, That's Jonathan at WP-Tonic.com.
0: Excellent. And you can find me at my website, which is LockdownDesign.com. And you can also find me on Twitter, uh, Lockdown underscore... Uh, for the WP tonic um, I'm saying and signing off uh, our next Saturday episode be sure to catch us 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time every Saturday and uh, Our next hosted interview 160 that's going to be with Jonathan Stark. So be sure to check that out Adios bye Bye, bye.